Leanna Downey is an internationally recognized strategic advisor, author, and speaker, who, like all of us, is dedicated to effective social change. She runs her own strategy group, Leanna Downey Associates, with a global team that helps leaders and organizations increase focus and change lives. Previously, she had the good fortune of living in Australia, where she led the nonprofit and government practices at McKinsey & Company. She's currently teaching leadership in public service as part of the Masters of Public Policy at NYU, where she gets the opportunity to enrich those who are already in the trenches in nonprofit and government. She was an author, and it is her book that brought us together. It's called Mission Control, How Nonprofits and Governments Can Focus, Achieve More, and Change the World. It's available on Amazon. It should totally be on your bookshelf, and it's on mine. I read the book, and I was really impressed, and I was totally convinced that you would find it as valuable as I did. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and an abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it, and she is here to help. Leanna, thank you so much for joining me and for offering some of your insights to our listeners. Joan, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here today. Well, one of the things that I felt, um, I felt us to be kindred spirits as I read the book last weekend, confessed on the beach. And, um, and I thought the kindred spirit piece was that you're a really an advocate and a champion for nonprofits to make sure that they get this whole issue of focus and strategy right. Um, and that's what I really liked about your book. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's, it's a, a very important topic. So it's generally been my experience that organizations don't kind of jump in and do the chicken dance when they <laughs> remember that it's time for strategic planning. Now, you and I may be outliers. I, I mean, I actually really love strategy work. I did it when I was an executive director myself, and I see the impact that it can have on others. Do you see this same kind of dread in the nonprofit space around strategic planning, almost as if it's said of this necessary evil? And if you do, what do you think it's about? Joan, I absolutely do see that. And I think it comes from two places. I think first, let's be honest, people have had a lot of terrible strategic planning experiences in the past. <laughs> um, you know, I've been there as a nonprofit leader, and I've certainly seen others and heard about others going through those processes where you do tons and tons of work. There's lots of kind of arguments. You generate long pages of a plan, and it's put on a shelf, and it's never seen again, you know, never talked about again. So I think that's part of people's experiences. If, you, if they haven't had a really good strategic planning process, there's that kind of dread that comes from that place. And then I think second, there's sometimes a comfort that we take in the busyness and kind of chaos of our daily working lives. Um, you know, to, to sort of say, I'm too busy to think about it. It actually takes real courage to stop what you're doing to look around and to ask yourself as a leader and as an organization the question, are we really making the most impact possible? Is there a better way? You know, I think it's daunting. So I think there's those two reasons. One, people have had bad experiences in the past. And second, it, it takes courage to, to stop and to reflect. It also actually takes time. Um, and I believe that nonprofits 
uh, do not plan enough, and I was an executive director, and I was as uh, uh, guilty of that as anyone else. The other way, the other thing I think that that really drowns people is you get drowned in the weeds of a plan. I have seen so many strategic planning presentations, like sort of these ongoing things where the board wants to know, how are we doing against our strategic plan? And it's like, we now order less copy paper than we did two years ago. Absolutely. And like the board members kind of want to shoot themselves. Yeah. Um, And so the, the plane is just flying at the wrong altitude. Absolutely. I think that's so true. I think it comes from a lack of understanding about, you know, that a strategy at its heart is really about making choices. It's yeah. actually about saying yes. no to some things. And it's, it's, you should be able to articulate your strategy very clearly, very easily and very simply. Um, and to be able to report against how you're doing is really about how are we having the impact we set out to, to achieve. But you're so right. Yes. I think people think of a strategic plan as a long list of to-dos. That's yeah. not a strategic plan. That's a list so, of to-dos. <laughs> right. So it's interesting that your book is is really about strategic planning, but the word strategic planning doesn't appear in the title or the subtitle of your book. Yes. The, the book is called Mission Control, which is very clever. Were you afraid that leaders averse to planning wouldn't buy it? (laughs) Or is it because mission is so front and center for you? And can you talk about that? You know, it really is about the question of mission. And it's because one of the patterns that I've seen over and over again in organizations, and I'm sure you see it too, is that for so many organizations, their missions are truly out of control. Um, And that tendency comes from, I think, a There are three reasons that missions get out of control. I think organizations chase funding. So, you know, you might start out with an organization where uh, it starts from a place of passion. Somebody, you lose somebody to prostate cancer and somebody says, I'm going to set out to, to, to find a cure. And, you know, the organization churns away for a little while and then they, their grant comes their way. They're a little bit short of money. It's not about finding a cure it's about advocacy but it kind of feels like it's in the zone so they you know they bid for the grant they succeed and before they know it they're an advocacy a grant raising an education and awareness raising and a you know research organization and that kind of trying to be everything to everyone is very common so that's kind of one of the reasons the second reason is that organizations start out by trying to address a symptom So, you know, in my neighborhood, and I talk about this in the book, there's a great organization. They're a food bank. They do amazing stuff. They were obviously founded because there was a need in the community. People were hungry. So the organization said, we're going to provide food. But, you know, as they get to know those clients more deeply, they start to understand there's other stuff going on. You know, people are homeless. So they start providing homeless shelters and services. They they lack for other material goods. So they start providing toys and clothes for those people. And they start to realize that, you know, underlying much of the hunger is uh, joblessness. So they start providing job training programs. And they're all good things to be doing. Right. But the organization hasn't asked itself that question. Not just does the work need to be done, but are we the best organization to be doing it? And they don't make choices to say no to some activities. They just add and add and add. So that's the second reason. And then I think the other reason, and I am certainly guilty of this, is that those of us who are drawn to this sector, we feel deeply passionate about the work that needs to be done. And we have a hard time saying no. 
So, you know, I think those three reasons mean that missions are out of control. And so for me, I'm very passionate about helping organisations think about how they can stop trying to be everything to everyone and really start trying to be something to someone. And for me, that's what strategy is all about. And in your introduction, you talk about the difference between good nonprofits and the sort of really five-star ones. I know that you, that what you just said, being something to someone mm. uh, is one of them. What other things set the good ones apart from the really fabulous ones? You know, I think it's that they get real about what their impact is. I think for a long time in the sector, we felt it was enough to to look at the work that we were doing or the intentions that we were setting and say, you know, measuring our impact is too too hard, it's too complicated, you know, we're, we're, we're very different as an organisation, no one understands how unique and, you know, different our work is, <laughs> right? We, we yeah, oh, totally, oh my gosh. <laughs> Every client I sit down with, they say, you know, we're really not like any other organization and they talk for about 15 minutes and they're like 90% of my clients. Right, you, you know, I, I, and I hear, you hear it all the time and the truth is organizations are unique, but it's not enough, you know, and I think there's been this kind of immense pressure from funders, which is starting to get us on the journey. There is a lot of work that needs to be done to support organizations, to help them build the capacity and skills. And I know you spend a lot of time working with organizations to help them get to that place. But I think the organizations who are, as you you know, the five-star organizations have moved through that and they really challenge themselves to actually be able to articulate what's the impact we're trying to achieve and are we getting there? And they have that courage to ask the question and they have the habit of reflection. So to yeah. me, that's critical. And I, I like to kind of think about the impact equation, which is in my mind, and this probably is speaking to my math background, but <laughs> it's impact divided by resources, you know, so it's a relationship between those two things. And I think for a long time, boards have focused on the resources piece. So either, you know, to your point, I, I hear that, you know, how much money are we spending on printing, you know, <laughs> boards that have those <laughs> conversations. And that's a conversation about the resources or what can we do to raise more resources. But we really need to be having a conversation about the impact and what's the relationship between the two and how do we get more impact for the same resources or if we can increase our resources, how do we increase our impact? So let's so. talk about resources for a minute. Yeah. Let's talk about, um, I think, another reason that there's some serious eye rolling when it comes to strategic planning time is uh, time and money. And so I have a, uh, riddle me this, Bat Batwoman, I have a true or false <laughs> question for you. Uh, time and money, these are the single biggest obstacles to great strategic planning true or false false absolutely you know i mean i i get why people have that reaction because their experience has been it takes a lot of time and or it costs a lot of money but there is a better way so let's sort of start with time we touched on it earlier the biggest waste of time is not doing good planning because we know that resources in a nonprofit organization are extremely precious time, money, people. But if you aren't doing really thoughtful strategic planning and thinking about the way that you allocate those resources to maximize your impact, then for sure 
you're wasting time and resources on activities that aren't as high impact as they could be. And the longer you stay in that cycle, you know, those resources, they're, they're spent. Once the money is spent, it's gone. Once somebody's time is spent, it's gone. Yep. And so the longer you delay that questioning and reflection, that impact is, you know, that opportunity, it's never coming back. So, yep. so time is kind of, it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a trick, right, to think mm-hmm. that you're going to save time by not doing planning. But having said that, I think a good planning process, it should be less arduous. Um, you know, I I think there's a, a set of steps that if organisations follow and they start to follow them with a, a higher degree of regularity. I'm not a huge fan of the five-year strategic plan. It's a habit that we're in. Five years is a long time. The world is changing so rapidly, you know, the way technology is influencing both service delivery. I'm, and, I mean, I'm hardly a fan of three years. Right. I, I agree. I, I like people to plan in kind of one to two year cycles. But really what I want them to do is really think about the next three months to really have a very concrete action plan that they can get out, they can do and then come back to. Um, so, so you know, that's the, on the, the time question, I think it's... If you do it right, it should be easier. It should be more frequent. And then money, you know, the truth is good planning doesn't require a lot of money. It requires work. You've got to do some real work to get the facts. Um, You need to have a clear understanding of the questions and that you're going to answer and the choices that you want to make and kind of what's the right sequence. But I don't think you need to spend a lot of money. And, you know, you and I both get paid to help organisations be more effective. So there's certainly, there is, there, there's a time and a place when it makes sense to spend that money. But part of the reason I wrote this book is to help organizations who really don't have a lot of resources, who really want to understand, you know, how do we, how do we do this in a way that's effective? Um, so I absolutely think organizations can do this on their own. I do think you need somebody to challenge you and to yes. keep you honest. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I think that there are variations of strategy work. Yes. Um, and so uh, and and one of the things I was totally drawn to by your book was this notion. And for listeners who are like dying to hear Leanna's steps, you probably are going to have to read the book because 25 minutes isn't going to get you all the way through. But um, so that'll sell Leanna more books, which is a good thing. <laughs> but it's but I what I liked about it it's it's not exactly do it yourself yeah but there are lots of ways and in fact what I really liked is that if you engage your staff and your board in the process of doing some of that work that you might hire an expensive consultant to do at the risk of putting myself out of that kind of business in the short term right um there's so much more engagement and investment and buy-in around the paths that you decide to explore. Yes, so true. And I think, you know, we have to we have to ref- reflect the fact that there are so many organisations whose resources are constrained. And I think one of the really curious things that I see from executive directors is this reluctance to ask their board to dedicate time to doing some of these things, and yet. I talk to a lot of board members and this is the topic that by far interests them the most. Totally. 
So totally because that's why they're there. That is why they're there. I talked about this all the time is that people come to engage their full selves as board members and far too often things come to them totally baked instead of what I jokingly refer to as half baked. And when they come half baked, the board members get to actually exercise their own strategy muscles. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think people have this sense that they need to bring something that's kind of buttoned up, and that's that's the point at which people disengage, right? Nobody wants to see a done deal. That's, you know, if you feel like you're rubber stamping something, you don't feel passionate, you don't feel committed. So I totally agree with you. Totally. Absolutely. I love that, bringing it half-baked. I totally agree. <laughs> so we're, we're talking with Leanna Downey. Through her firm, Leanna Downey and Associates, Leanna helps leaders and organizations increase focus and change lives. We're talking about strategic planning, mission creep, and the words of wisdom you can find in her book, Mission Control, How Nonprofits and Governments Can Focus, Achieve More, and Change the World, available very easily on Amazon.com. Next question up, what are some of the common mistakes people make in strategic planning? I think there are many, but I want to focus on two because I think it's such a good question. Um, you know, the first, I think, is coming into a session, a planning session, where the primary emphasis has been on thinking about stuff like who's going to be in the room, what are we going to eat, have we got enough paper, have we got enough <laughs> markers? <laughs> what are we going to eat? Right? But not right. thinking about what facts do we need to bring to the table. Yeah. So, so many people have these discussions, what I call fact-free, and it's, it's at huge detriment. I think there's this idea, well, you know, if we've got the right people in the room, then they know what's what and we've got the expertise we need. But it, it, it's, everybody comes to a discussion with their own vantage point, and that's never the whole picture. Even the ED doesn't have the whole picture because they're not kind of on the, you know, they're not in the trenches necessarily on the front lines. And if you want to engage your board, if you want to engage your team in really thoughtful uh, strategic planning and making choices, you need to inform that discussion with a clear set of facts. So I think of facts in three categories, clients, your sector and your environment, mm -hmm. and, you know, and I talk about them in more detail, but even if we just think for a second about clients, who are your clients? How many of them are there? What's your reach? I was in a strategic planning session as a board member recently, and we were having a discussion about whether we should grow the organization by going into different geographies or whether we should grow the organization uh, within a particular geography. That's a discussion that the board has been having in some shape or form for more than five years. Right. And I, you know, because I'm interested in this stuff, I asked the question about reach and it became apparent, you know, even as a board member, I didn't know this, the answer to this question, that our reach was very small in percentage terms. So how many of the clients that we wanted to be serving were we actually serving? What percent of those were we actually serving? It was like less than 1% right. in, the, in the target geographies. And, you know, that very quickly made the decision that we had in front of us very easy. You know, the group unanimously decided to focus in the particular geography. So coming in with those kinds of facts, who else is in the sector? Who else is doing this work? How great is the need? Those really change the nature of the discussion. So I think that's the first mistake people make is not coming in with enough facts. And the way to deal with it is to, is to do your homework before you right. come. And then I think the second thing is kind of not seeing the forest for the trees. And you touched on this earlier, but 
it's going too deeply into the weeds and in particular it's this kind of obsession with wordsmithing a mission statement and I cannot tell you you know the amount of time I've spent with people arguing you know well I really think the phrase we're looking for is community engagement or you know whatever it is <laughs> and of course you end up with these statements that are like a laundry list of every you know every board member gets a word <laughs> so- well it would be okay if they were a laundry list because they might actually make sense right. I mean I mean it's one of the things that in my class that I teach at the Annenberg School at Penn I read mission statements to the class and we it ends up being a comic exercise yeah yeah, it's so true, right? And so I think the point is not the mission statement. And even though the book is called Mission Control, that's not the place to spend your time. The time, you know, the place to spend your time is to be clear about what's a goal that you as an organization are really going to go hard for in the next year or two? And what is your unique strategy to get there? And, so that so let's so let's stay with that for a second because I actually really loved the chapter that you wrote on goal setting. Um, and, and goals different from vision, mm-hmm. different from mission, right? <laughs> and um, <clears throat> you talk about a planning process demanding the creation of what you call a spine-tingling goal. Yep. I, I think it's a very sticky phrase. I liked it a lot. Um, talk for a minute about what you, help listeners understand what you mean by spine-tingling goal. You know, it's, it's a goal that makes you sit up and listen. And when I've heard people talk about the effect that a goal like this has on their organizations, people who've been involved in it, is that it's energizing and organizations pull behind it. You know, people in the organization pull behind it. And so it has to be clear. It has to describe an end state. You know, where are we getting to? And I think the spine tingling is just something you kind of, you know, you feel it. And so, I, I, yeah, I think the word I use is kind of goosebumps, right? Yeah, Same absolutely, thing. right? And so I, you know, I use the, I talk about, in the book, I talk about the example of target zero, which was the goal that was set uh, around the eradication of smallpox. And it was totally game-changing and it was set by the world health organization you know an organization that has very broad mission right, right. <laughs> you know i mean it's the health of the entire world <laughs> you can't you can't <laughs> that and yet after a lot of dithering i think they spent about 6 years dithering about it but they had the courage to say you know we're going to tackle this incredibly debilitating disease that had killed more than half a billion people around the world over over the course of history. So, it, well, but, let me, the, no, yeah. but let me pause for a second because there might be listeners who say the eradication of smallpox is a vision, not a goal. Yeah, you know, I mean, to me, the, the vision of an organization is, it's, it's the, it, it is the state that you want to achieve but when you look at most organizations visions they're way off on the horizon and this goal was set not just about zero cases of smallpox but it was also time bound it was within 10 years mm-hmm. and you know i think if that had been set at the point at which there was no uh no known treatment for smallpox there wasn't right. a vaccine then i would put it in the vision category okay it, that that yeah. makes total sense yeah 
So, but it was set at a point at which there was enough, but we just kind of couldn't get over the line. So it was still very audacious, very bold. But there was a sense that we have the tools at our disposal. We just need to get people pulling in the direction so that we can finally do this. So to me, that's a goal. You know, it, there has to be a set. It's got, and it's really an art form. And I'm sure you've seen clients really grapple with this about it being too aspirational mm-hmm. and you know, too easy. And it's trying to find kind of that's the the the, the, the spot in the middle, a sweet spot of of, of it being sufficiently spine tingling. And it doesn't happen necessarily easily in organisations. It is, there is kind of real conversation that has to go on. But I found that there's almost this mystical kind of magical moment in the room where it suddenly bubbles up and it becomes really self-evident. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, I, it's yeah. a bit, it's a, that um, now in the Webster's Dictionary, you can find the word aha moment. But there yes. is, like we had it. When I was at GLAAD and we were doing a strategic plan with McKinsey in a pro bono fashion, by the way, uh, and um, we were focused on whether or not GLAAD should tackle different forms of media besides news and television in order to, you know, tell the stories of LGBT Americans. Mm -hmm. And so we were having a big question about whether or not we should move into advertising. Yeah. And then all of a sudden... I don't know who it was in the room basically said, why are we form? Why are we focusing on the media? Aren't we are about people? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And if you figure out which people we are leaving behind with the work that we are doing, then it will become self-evident how we should, how we should, what strategy we should use in terms of which forms of media reach those people. And that's what led us to a Spanish language media program and a more aggressive regional media program and those kinds of things that stemmed from putting the right thing in the foreground. And that was a big aha moment for us. Absolutely. And then it, it really has that sense of just, it feels like, oh, we've all, in a way we've kind of always known this. Um, and it and it sort of feels obvious, but it it isn't. It takes real work to get to that point. Yeah, it's it's so exciting to have that experience. And it I, is it is, and I and I think that if more organizations had those kinds of experiences, by virtue of really having the courage to ask tough questions, and I, one of the biggest questions I like is, if your organization did not exist, what gap would there be? Yes. Absolutely. And I think it's part of that kind of fact finding in my mind is that you have to be clear about who else is doing the work that you're doing and making sure you focus your efforts and energies in the gaps. So, you know, and finding collaborating, if that makes sense, you're so right. So, um, uh, we could talk about goals for a long time, but we are uh, getting short on time. So I wanted to ask you if there was anything else that you think, um, that our listeners would benefit from knowing or considering as they think about this issue of mission control and strategic planning? You know, I think that at the end of the day, you know you're there if you have a really simple, clear story to tell and it kind of wraps it all up. So it's where are you headed? What's your goal? How are you going to get there? And why is, why is your approach to how you're going to get there credible? You know, you need to have addressed that we're filling a gap and that we have a particular set of skills and expertise that are going to get us there and, and we know that it works. I think one of the beautiful things about storytelling in the nonprofit is you're inviting the listener in 
to help you be part of that journey. So at the end of the day, a good strategy turns into a really simple and compelling story. One of the things I will say is that as a result of the good strategic plan that we created, we had a good story to tell. As a result of that story, we were able to, and we had a goal over the course of a two to three year period, and we were able to market the strategic plan to secure multi-year investments. Absolutely. And I I believe that that's just such a missed opportunity for so many organizations that are playing in this space. You know, I think we could actually probably talk for another hour, (laughs) um, but whoever's listening in their car or their elliptical machine probably has to get to work. So, um... Um, uh, so I'm, I'm afraid that we are out of time. Thank you so much, Joan. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. So our listeners know that, um, just so I just want our listeners to be clear that Leanna's book offers a step-by-step process to help you find focus and create a strategy to make smart decisions, cr- raise money and create impact. And it is especially targeted to those pressed for time and money. In addition, um, Leanna was kind enough to create a website of resources to accompany the book, which you will find at www.missioncontrolbook.com. I have a blog post and I uh, um, uh, pitch for my blog. Uh, Please feel free to join me at Joan Gary with two R's at .com and subscribe to my blog. I don't uh, send but one thing a week because I know you're busy. But there is a uh, there is a blog post on there about the top ten books uh, uh, nonprofit leaders sh- should read. I need to make an addendum and add this one. Uh, <laughs> I also I also note that Leanna, you mentioned a book that I have not read. I'm a big fan of Dan and Chip Heath, um, and I love Made to Stick, which I use with my students. But you also mentioned a book called Switch: How to Change Things When Change Is Hard, and so. I have not read it, uh, but uh, and I don't need you to review it this uh, this morning. But I will just say, uh, add that one to your list as well. Again, my you know my role here as a nonprofit evangelist is to give you um, information, people, resources that um, hopefully will make your job feel more joyful and allow you to be more effective. Thank you again to Leanna for joining us, and as always, thank you to those who listen. You're out there in the trenches doing really hard work. Far too often, it is thankless. So thank you, and this is Joan Gary, and I'll speak with you soon. Nonprofits Are Messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the Nonprofit Dear Abby, Joan's leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com.